the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I was uh, talking to a missionary down in Peru years and years ago. He worked at the Bible college down there. I said, what's one of the biggest challenges you face? He said, we get a lot of young people come down here and they're all about, who am I supposed to marry? How do I hear from the Lord? And he said, they come to me. And I'm like, I don't know whom you're supposed to marry. I'm trying to figure out how to do my life and hear from the Lord. But he was explaining to us, why don't they just go seek the Lord? And maybe you're out there and you're thinking, how do I do that? How do I seek the Lord? And descends in perfect love. First off, it takes time. You do have to set apart time. He said, you'll find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. And that takes time. It's not like a your whole heart means like a grunting and I'm going to really try hard. But, you know, in order to speak to me. But you have to set aside time. Holy what I found is I've got to be in the Word. What I frequently found is as I'm reading through the Word, God starts to guide me and starts to give me principles and start to direct me the path that He wants me to go. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. It is God's desire that His people would be holy living distinct and separate lives. So he had given the Israelites the moral and ceremonial laws that they would be different from all the other nations of the world. Last we saw in Leviticus 19 that holiness has a certain attitude. We saw that holiness realizes God's eternal law, doesn't ritualize spending time with God, and is generous to the poor, and is honest in its dealings with others. Holiness loves as Jesus loved, sees people as God sees them, and puts God first in everything. We continue to see what an attitude of holiness looks like as we join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26. The second attitude we're going to see tonight is this attitude of holiness, it puts God first in everything. Look at verse 26. He says here, You shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. You shall not round the corners of your head, neither shall you mar the corners of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Let's start at the beginning. All right, verse 26. You shall not eat anything with blood. That's already been established. I'm not going to cover that again. Why? I think it's Leviticus 17. You can get the CD on that to go into that. But he also mentions here, neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. In other words, we're to put God first in everything that we do. And the first way we do that is regarding our future. The word enchantment here means divination. It's to use omens and signs to determine God's will. Listen, as Christians, we don't operate like that. Like, I don't have a weird dream and then wake up and go, ooh, what are you saying, God? Now, does that mean that God never speaks through dreams? No, of course he does. We have biblical examples of when he does. If I have a dream that I've got three heads 
and I'm running from a four-headed monster, and I think to myself, I'm going to lose because he's got four heads and I only got three. I don't need to wake up and go, does this change the Trinity? What I need to do is probably not eat what I ate before I went to bed next time. We do not live by superstitions. We do not live by signs and by omens. And I see so many Christians who their lives are all about this. Well, you know, so-and-so said this to me, so I'm just going to be real careful today. That is fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of of love and power and of a sound mind. God has given us a sound mind. We don't have to be crazy like that where we're always in fear of all these things that we see around us. I always thought it was the weirdest thing where Christians get freaked out by 666. I was probably not the nicest young Christian. I always want to like walk into church like with a 666 on me somewhere. Just to see, what are you doing? I don't have to worry about it. There's a reason 666 has a meaning in the Bible. It's the name of the beast. And when you take his mark, there's an identification with him in worship. There's an identification with him in following and loyalty. And an identification with him in rejecting the Lord. Kid you not, I worked for Chick-fil-A for years. And there would be people, they would come up to the register. And there were times when cashiers, the bill would be 666. I'm like, oh man, no, I'm, I'm adding some extra sour cream on this, you know. And they'd pay for it out of their own money. I'll be like, what are you doing? You're a Christian. You don't need to be afraid of this stuff. No, it's 666, man, you know. Wife's going to get in a car accident or something. We don't read horoscopes. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Observe times. It, It means to tell the future through spells or speaking with the dead. I realize it's sentimental to feel like those that we love who have gone on to be with the Lord that they're still with us. And I guess there's a sense because of all they've implanted into us and all the memories we have that that's true. We're not to be like, okay, dad, I got this thing going on, or grandpa or grandma or mom or sister or favorite aunt. Help me out with this one. This is gonna be a hard one. We don't have to do any of that. They're not there with us to assist. The Lord is with us. We have everything we need in him. We're to trust our future to the Lord, knowing that he loves us and that he will lead us. Now he says, you shall not round the corners of your head. I'm still trying to figure out who has a square head. Don't shave those things down, man. You know, if you've got a square head, you, sorry, you got to stay a blockhead. This is kind of like a reverse mohawk. It's where the middle is all like, you know, it's empty. And then around the side, it's like a tonsure, which I find funny because There are groups, Christian groups, who wear their hair in that style. And the reason I think it's funny is because these groups really try to emulate the Old Testament way of living. And then they do this, and they just, I find it interesting. You're not supposed to have kind of the reverse mohawk where you've got the the middle's empty. I mean, most of us are trying to Rogaine that middle anyway. So the, the middle is empty, and then you do it around the side. And then the other thing it mentions, either mar the corners or ruin the edges of your beard. The Orthodox Jews, if you see them, that's why they wear the curls. They believe the very top of their sideburns are the part that you're not allowed to cut. And so they come down and they curl them and whatnot, and that's so that you don't mar them. You keep those things pretty. That's why they do that. Realize, again, this has to do with pagan ideology. The Egyptians and other pagan cultures of Israel's day, they would cut the hair off their head and their facial hair in imitation of their deities. If you see like a lot of the Egyptian deities, they'll you know, have the beards, you know, the little things that stick out or certain types of haircuts. And the idea was, is we're going to cut our hair just like our gods. And they thought this made them pure or more spiritual. I hope I don't have to tell you this, but one's hairstyle has nothing to do with spirituality. None. And the Lord didn't want his people getting caught up in that same idolatry. They weren't to turn to these gods to bless their future. All of the things they were to be worried about for their future, they were to trust the Lord. So guys, if you don't like your sideburns, you can shave them. It's okay. If you want to grow them or curl them, you can do that too. That's between you and the Lord. I don't care. Verse 28 says, you should not make any cuttings in your flesh regarding the dead, for the dead 
nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. The phrase there, for the dead, means for the soul. And then the phrase, to print any marks upon you, it means to place a sign upon the skin by making an incision. In the Egyptian rites for the dead, they would cut the skin and they would place magical ink into the wound. This would infuse one with the power of your ancestor's soul. For example, Celtic berserkers, you know, they would do this and it would freak their enemies out. They would cut their arms and their their face and they would put this magical dye, they would call it. And a lot of times it would glow. They would put the stuff in and make it glow. I mean, can you imagine? You're looking over there and you've got your stuff and then some guy's looking at you, you know, and he's got this glowing face, you know that? It was to intimidate their enemies, to give them confidence because they believe they were infused with the power of their deities. Israel was to entrust God for their military and spiritual might, not pagan power rituals. The question, of course, then is, well, what about tattoos? And I hear people say, well, that's what a tattoo is. You're inserting ink and you're putting an incision. It's the same thing. What about tattoos for aesthetic reasons? And I will tell you, if you're inserting ink into your skin because you think it gives you more power somehow, then yes, you need to not do that. You know, you should not do that. Well, you know, let me throw something at you. Some of you giggle a little bit, but I know that there are men and women both who do it because they think it's going to help them to attract guys and gals more. That's a little bit of a power ritual there. And I would caution you, if that's your motive behind it, then you might want to rethink it. However, on the other hand, if you just like flowers and you want to put it on your wrist, that's between you and the Lord. Tattoos for aesthetic reasons are not mentioned here. And you say, how do you know that's what it's talking about? Well, look what it's grouped with. It mentions here for the dead, for the soul. It's grouped with this. It's mentioned about consulting witches, shamans and soothsayers, rounding your head and cutting your hair in a certain way like the pagan cultures did to imitate their gods. It's all in the same section. Tattoos for aesthetic reasons aren't mentioned here because no one did such a thing back then. Until recently, tattoos were considered taboo because they were usually associated with rebellion, lust, or intimidation, like they were in the old days. Gang tattoos are still used this way. Those are the no-nos, as the principle of this verse still applies. So no gang tattoos, no power tattoos, and things like that. In principle, because our culture has looked at tattoos a little bit differently, aesthetic tattoos are fine in principle. However... God's standards, the general standards, they all apply. So no naked ladies, those types of things, things that would dishonor the Lord. And anything you would do wearing a shirt like that would dishonor the Lord. You shouldn't be getting tattoos of that either. Is it okay for you to get a tattoo? Well, one thing you'll never hear me do is give you permission when it concerns areas that the Bible remains silent about. I don't know if it's okay for you to get a tattoo. If you're a young person and your mom and dad don't want you to get a tattoo, then it's not okay for you to get a tattoo. If you aren't in agreement in your marriage, then it's not okay for you to get a tattoo. You say, well, God tells me I'm free to do that. Yes, technically, but all the other principles of scripture still apply and you need to abide by those. And you know, for some of you, it may even still be a mark of rebellion and independence and all that kind of stuff. And I would say it's probably not a good idea to get a tattoo. There was a gal I knew out in uh, California and uh, she was a school teacher and she got a tattoo around her ankle. And of course in California, nobody wears pants down there because it's beautiful all the time. And so she was a school teacher and the tattoo, it had a verse around it. It had, I think, a flower and a verse around it. And people would ask her and say, Miss so-and-so, what's that on your leg? And they say, oh, it's a tattoo of a flower. And what's that verse there? And she'd go, well, let me tell you. Because in California, as in most states, you're not allowed to share the gospel in a public school as a teacher unless a student asks you. Isn't that cool? I hate tattoos personally. I do. I, I've, well, I hate them. So, and I'll leave it there.
Verse 29. Not only were to put God first in everything regarding our future, but also regarding a woman's place. Verse 29. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a whore. Seems like common sense. Lest the land fall to whoredom and the land become full of wickedness. You know, the word there, prostitute, it means to defile or treat as common. I say this because women were considered less than some animals in most cultures. Like you might look and go, well, I've got three daughters and I've got four cows. (laughs) The daughters are going. Seriously, in Israel, back in that day, and even still in, in the Orthodox circles today, if you have a kid and you don't know what it is and the midwife comes out and says, it's a girl, everybody goes home. They all go home because it's not a hand to work and do the work that needed to be done. That's how it was. It was actually looked at, it's a dowry, it's payment. I gotta take care, I gotta marry her off. I gotta find somebody to make a contract with. It was considered a negative. God doesn't see it that way, but that's how the culture saw it. And so sometimes the Jews and the people, the society around them, they would take these women and their daughters and they would say, well, you're gonna earn your keep somehow. And they would put them into prostitution. We learned about the Greek view of women this morning and I said last week how the Jews viewed women as the crown of God's creation, his most perfect thing that he made. That ideology, though, comes from these verses. A woman is not a sexual object. And while it's called the oldest profession in history, deriving a woman's value by her ability to please a man physically is the world's view, not the Bible's. Not the Bible's at all. Therefore, no man had the right to send her into prostitution for spiritual or financial gain or anything. No man had the right to do that. Back in that culture, a very patriarchal society, he says, you do not have that right to do that because you're gonna do wickedness and the whole land will be filled with sexual sin. Ladies, if you're here tonight, God views you as a creature of dignity. Treat yourself that way. Treat yourself that way. Because I've heard some some gals do this, not too many, but I've heard some say, well, you know, he says if I don't sleep with him that we won't do certain things and he's gonna break up with me or whatever. And I don't, I don't want to be alone. I don't, want to, I don't know if I'll ever find somebody else. Trust the Lord. You are a prize to whatever man eventually wins your heart. Not if you're a prize to be one, but I mean you're an amazing thing is what you are. You are a blessing. You are a gift. You have great dignity. And you don't need to compromise what is valuable to you to win over any guy's heart. Because if, if you have to do that, he's not worth the time. He's not worth the winning. Well, not only do we put God first in, in everything in regarding a woman's place, but regarding our worship. Look at verse 30. He says, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. You know, it's interesting. He says, you're going to keep my Sabbaths. You're going to obey my Sabbath laws. And you're going to reverence, give respect to my sanctuary, the tabernacle, because I'm the Lord. You know, you're going to give something its proper due. My Sabbaths and my, and, and my sanctuary. You're going to worship me. You're going to give that its proper due. On the other hand, he says, do not regard, turn away from, do not give respect to those that have familiar spirits. This is someone who contacts the dead for information, not to find out the future, but to gain information. Um, a lot of times when they were trying to solve mysteries back then, they would consult these, these people that could you know, consult the spirits of dead, uh, the dead to get information from them. Secondly, he says, you're also neither to seek after wizards. He would be mediums who would be actually, they believe they'd be possessed by those spirits and you could talk directly to them. And he says, you're not going to give respect to them to be defiled by them because I am the Lord, your God. And you know, sometimes church can become that way. Sometimes church can become this thing where like the the pastor is, it's it's all about what he says. And (laughs) I see the trend moving in this direction more and more in our culture, in, in our culture of church. We're like, I have watched pastors who 
They don't even open their Bible. Or they might start off with an open Bible and like read a verse, but they never even return to it or anything. And, and I watch as a crowd hangs on every word, you know? I hope you don't hang it on every word I've got because I have very few of them. But God has a lot to say. The Bible says the job of a pastor is to be a pastor teacher. A teacher is to instruct on the scriptures. I'm not here to instruct you on how I think you should do life. I'm here to lay out the scriptures for you. I mean, Paul told Timothy, this is what he said, give attention to, this is what you do, okay? He didn't say you sermonize. He didn't say you give a power talk or a motivational talk. He doesn't say you whoop up a crowd. He says, give attention to reading, teaching, and exhortation. You know what that means? You read the Bible, you explain what it means, and you tell people how to apply it. That's simple. It's that simple. That's my job. And anytime I begin to step outside those boundaries, I am in really dangerous waters. And I'm not giving you what you need. You're not receiving what you need if you're sitting under an environment like that. We can't treat these guys like those who have familiar spirits or wizards back in the day who were respected and you went to them for all your advice and all your counsel. You know, I remember I was uh, talking to a missionary down in Peru years and years ago. He worked at the Bible college down there. I said, what's one of the biggest challenges you face? He said, we get a lot of young people come down here and they're all about, who am I supposed to marry? How do I hear from the Lord? And he said, they come to me. And I'm like, I don't know whom you're supposed to marry. I'm trying to figure out how to do my life and hear from the Lord. But he was explaining, well, I said, why don't they just go seek the Lord? And maybe you're out there and you're thinking, how do I do that? How do I seek the Lord? Well, first off, it takes time. You do have to set apart time. He said, you'll find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. And that takes time. It's not like a, your whole heart means like a grunting and I'm going to really try hard. But, you know, Lord, speak to me. But you have to set aside time. What I found is I've got to be in the word. What I frequently found is as I'm reading through the word, God starts to guide me and starts to give me principles that start to direct me the path that he wants me to go. And I can trust that because I know it's his word. I don't have to sit here and think it up or go to some guru and have him tell me what to do because, you know, he's got like a direct line to God. He says, you give respect to my Sabbath. You rest in me and you give respect to my sanctuary. You do things my way. You trust me. You worship me, not these other guys. So we put God for attitude of holiness. It puts God first in everything. And lastly tonight, the attitude of holiness is it gives others Actually, I have two points. So the third one is he gives, it gives others due respect. Verse 32. You shall rise up before the hoary head and you shall honor the face of the old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. And if a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwells with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love the hoary head. It's a good King James word. It just means the gray haired, those who are approaching the more of the backside of their, the, their lives where, where they're approaching the older age, age times of age. He says, that person, you're going to rise up. You're going to stand up when they come around. You're going to give them honor. You're going to give honor before the face of the old man. And in doing so, you're, you're going to be fearing your God. You're going to fear your God, not mistreat them and dishonor them because I'm the Lord. And you're not going to vex a stranger. The word there means to oppress or mistreat because they're at a disadvantage. He says, you know, the stranger that dwells among you will be like one who was born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And Egypt mistreated you. That's the idea behind it. They didn't do, I was angry with them for mistreating you. I sent you down there for your safety and for your protection. And they did not treat you as their own. 
you're not going to make that mistake. You're going to be different than the world. You're going to treat them and love them as yourself. I am the Lord your God. This may come as a surprise, but nationalism isn't biblical. It's not. In fact, adoption, hospitality, and kindness are. Those are biblical principles, not nationalism. Israel was to be a light to the world. We were over at the Temple Mount area at the Wailing Wall. You can tell you're not wanted there. I'm a, I'm a dirty Gentile. And you can tell you, they feel like I'm intruding on something that's theirs. But didn't Solomon say, and Lord, if anyone from among the nations, if they want, I want this to be a place where they can come and pray and seek your face. So there's even a place for a dirty Gentile at the Wailing Wall. There's a place for us, every one of us to come to the Lord. And so we should show adopt, have a heart of adoption, of hospitality and of kindness. Lastly, an attitude of holiness that's different than the world looks at things. It's above board in its business dealings. Verse 35, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard or in weight or in measure, but just balances. In other words, accurate, an accurate set of scales, just weights, exact stones, those stones that be used in the scales. Don't have them be different, one for selling, one for buying. He says a just ephah, accurate basket measures, a just hin, that was accurate liquid measures. Shall you have, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. Listen, don't cheat your customers. Don't cheat your vendors. Don't cheat the stores you shop at. Somebody I used to joke with every once in a while because I I would say, you know, you ever put your card like in the gas pump and you kind of hope it doesn't register, but you still get to put gas in? I'm the only thief here. (laughs) Well, there's somebody else here who thought that way (laughs) because I was talking to him about it. But that's a wrong attitude. There are times when, you know, I've I've gotten out to the car and I've I've looked down. I'm like, oh man, they didn't charge me for this or they they gave me too much change or whatever. My first thought is myself, I don't want to walk all the way back in there. You know, it's Walmart. There's like lines out and crazy. And, but then you look down and you see your three-year-old or your six-year-old or your nine-year-old or your 15-year-old and you think, all right, let's do the right thing. Let's go in there. Don't cheat the people you shop from. God saved you from that kind of life, right? Let him that stole steal no more. So God saved you from that kind of life. Trust him. Pay your employees right. You know, don't cheat your customers. Don't cheat your vendors. Do it right. Trust him. You don't have to shave those things to prosper. He loves you and he can meet all your needs and bless you in all your endeavors. We don't keep many of these things that were for Israeli society, but the principles behind them, I think they have a lot to say to us. Let's be people who are different than the world. We approach it the way God wants us to approach it, with his heart and his attitude, trusting him that all prosperity comes from him, that all blessing comes from him and not from ourselves. Let's all stand. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we thank you that we can trust you, Lord, that you have promised you will meet every need that we have, that you will take care of us, Lord. We don't have to shave our heads a certain way. We don't have to consult a horoscope. We don't have to come up with some super engineered product. We just need to trust you and walk with you and do things your way. And Lord, you're gonna lead our paths. You know, you're gonna make them straight. You're gonna take us down the way that you want for us that is best for us. So Lord, this evening, if there's anything in our hearts that we haven't been set apart, we've been doing things like the world. Maybe we've had hatred for stranger, or maybe we've been mistreating you know, our customers or our vendors and cutting off or shaving off the, the, the finances a little bit. Lord, we don't wanna do that anymore. We just wanna honor you. We wanna show respect, Lord, to those who are older. We wanna show respect to everybody. We wanna be kind to everybody, have a heart of adoption and hospitality and kindness. And so, Lord, we ask, would you fill us with your spirit 
so that we might do those things that we're committing to you right now. And we might walk in obedience to you in the things that we have committed to be obedient to you. Lord, thank you that you will do that in our lives. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. God wants us to lead holy lives. Remember, the word holy means separate, pulled out from among. We are to live lives that are different from the rest of the world because we have seen God. We have seen his mighty hand, his loving outstretched arms, and his presence in our daily life. Reviewing Leviticus 19, we saw that an attitude of holiness realizes God's eternal law, doesn't ritualize spending time with God, is generous to the poor, and is honest in its dealings with others. Holiness doesn't take advantage of the disadvantaged, doesn't take advantage of the poor, nor of people that are not around to defend themselves. Holiness is loving as Jesus loved, forgiving, and hoping the best for the people around us. An attitude of holiness also means we have a higher view of the people we encounter, be it our employees or servers. An attitude of holiness always puts God first. We should do these things because we love God and see the world as He sees it. Let's be holy people. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.